You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We are the show where we take leadership topics of the day and try to break them down into some easy-to-understand, clear, and focused messages, perhaps giving you some suggestions you can use. Today, my guest is going to help us with the very important topic of employee engagement and retention. It's a hot topic in just about every campus that I walk on when I go out and meet with clients. The The whole employment game has changed in the last couple of years. And once you got them, if you like them, you want to hold on to them, right? So uh, my guest today is, is going to help us understand that. And he, too, is a guy named Doug. <laughs> Doug Brown, welcome <laughs> to the show. Doug, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks uh, for the opportunity to talk with you today. You bet. Well, let's start with a little bit of a backstory. Uh, I always like to ask guests to give us a little color on their journey, their experiences that led them into what they're doing right now. So could you share your version of that, Doug? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I... Uh... You know, it's been, I've been in the workforce for, for many, many years, uh, Doug. And, um, you know, I started out actually uh, in, in the food industry, food sector, and was kind of where some of my um, education aligned with and uh, spent uh, several years in the food industry in various management positions and different roles. And, um, and I guess around uh, the late 1980s, got into this world of sales and sold products into uh, food processing industries, and then kind of branched out into some different sectors in, in different companies. So um, that took me uh, up until the late, uh, I'm going to say, 1990s. And around that time, we had a young family. My children were starting to grow, and I, I wanted to give them a little bit of exposure to the uh, the business world to help them learn a little bit more about you know, how business is conducted and, and how, you know, client interactions go and, and help them maybe also earn some some money. So we started at that time, uh, Doug, a part-time business and it was called Recognition Rewards. It was, it was selling uh, various rewards and award type products into business organizations to help them recognize and appreciate their employees. And it kind of grew and, you know, it didn't take over the world or anything, <laughs> But it was, um, you know, it gave me some really uh, um, important insights into um, how businesses operate. Um, you know, one, I still feel today recognition is one of the cornerstones of engagement. And it also has a profound influence on retention. So, you know, we ran that for several years. And uh, around 2007, 2008, uh, we... Uh, Recognize that there were many other factors that played beyond recognition that influenced, you know, engagement, influenced, um, you know, commitment and loyalty and those kind of things. And so we ended up uh, starting a company called Engage to Perform, which was really about employee engagement surveys. And uh, we ran that business for about 12, 13 years. And it really enabled us to get a deep dive into what employees' concerns are, 
what some of their goals are, what some of their challenges are, really get a better understanding of what the issues are and where some of the disconnects are related to engagement. And so, you know, that was, that was really important. And we had a wealth of data that we, we um, have collected through that, that time and feedback. And, and then I guess about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, we started reading about the great resignation and how uh, employee turnover numbers were increasing and how organizations were struggling to retain their talent. And um, as a result of that, we started a company called Manage to Retain. And we felt we had some solutions to offer. And we have been working at that for about a year, a little over a year now. But the company uh, has, has only launched about nine, 10 months ago. And uh, that's, that's where we, what has brought me what, where we are today. But that was really the genesis of how we got to manage to retain. Well, I, I think the key point in that is that uh, this notion of recognition is uh, frequently on the top five things when people do surveys and studies about retention and engagement. People are uh, overwhelmingly voting and, and expressing the need to feel recognized and it's uh, from my vantage point it looks like what people are saying is i just want to know that what i do is valuable to to you my employer yeah. and if it's not valuable then we're all wasting our time let's go do something else yeah but i think the traditional fail in business is there is a sense if you're the owner or the manager you do value your people, you do rely on them to get the work done, but it's there's a breakdown in the ability to express that, acknowledge that, and, and help people feel that sense of recognition. Yeah, you're very, you're very correct in that, Doug. And it is an issue that is a, very important to employees. They do want to feel valued. They do want to feel uh, they've made a contribution. Uh, they do want to feel appreciated and, and um, acknowledged for their efforts. And often when they go above and beyond, uh, it doesn't take a lot, but sometimes a simple thank you and appreciation can, can mean so much. Uh, just another point on this, um, you know, there are disconnects there. And I think uh, owners and senior leaders, you know, understand that it's important to recognize and, and value employees, but it sometimes doesn't go translate right down through mid-level management and, and it actually gets accomplished. And, you know, it, it's not that they don't have good intentions. It's that it sometimes doesn't happen. People get busy and they forget about it or, or something like that. But, and one of the things that kind of underscores this is, you know, I've seen some recent work where they kind of asked uh, senior leaders and, and managers, how well do you feel you're, doing at recognizing and appreciating your employees and you know typically you'll see answers and scores in the you know 70 75 percent that of managers feel they're doing fairly well at it but then often when you ask employees um, how well their managers are doing at showing appreciation and recognizing some of your achievements that number drops significantly and you can see you know maybe 35 percent or something like that so um, 
that's something that organizations and, and, and managers and leaders have to be careful of about is that, you know, it's not really what they perceive as how well they're doing. It's, it's how, how those employees perceive uh, that, that recognition and appreciation. So, yeah. And I think one of the difficulties that managers face is that it, it is a bit of a slippery slope because this thing we call recognition, it, it's great to say, let's recognize our employees. Well, what does that mean? And when you really go all the way to the individual employee, the truth is everybody views that a little bit differently. And really, it's it's very closely related to the uh, great work. I, I think is, I think it was Gary Smalley's work that he, he wrote a book in the '80s about the love languages, and it was it was targeted to to couples and and understanding and improving marriage relationship, but it quickly applied to the business world because the point of the book was that at least according to Smalley, there are, there are five different love languages that mean something to someone and not everybody speaks the same language. And a simple example is giving gifts. Well, and I'll use the marriage situation to keep it simple. The, the husband thinks I, I, I lavish my wife with presents but she never seems to care. It's it's just, uh, yeah. as men would say, I don't I don't score any points for that. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, doing this. Yeah. And and the point is, the wife may have a love language that says, I need uh, demonstrations of affection. You know, I, I need you to just hug me every now and then, yeah. <clears throat> and I, turn that into a work environment. Obviously, hug is not the right thing at all nowadays. <laughs> no. But. Um, but the point is, individuals have a different level of need for what works for them for recognition. So it's a huge yeah. challenge to managers to know their people and understand what works for one won't necessarily work for another. Yeah, this is so true, uh, Doug. And, um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when it is uh, it is true and correct that all of us are different. All of us have our own unique needs, um, personal needs, emotional needs, all those kind of things. And so when you go back to something as simple as recognition, you know, just as a couple of examples, you may want to show appreciation to an employee for going above and beyond or a certain achievement. And you may say, hey, we're going to hand out an award to them uh, on stage in front of uh, 500 employees. And acknowledge their their efforts and unfortunately the employee is very shy uh, they're introverted and and that would be maybe not embarrassing but very uncomfortable for them to be put in that position and be recognized or or another simple example is you know you you say thanks to an employee with a, a bottle of wine and and then you find out later perhaps they're a recovering alcoholic and you know, it, it's it's the wrong thing to do. So again, back to your point uh, about understanding some of those unique needs and and tailoring or customizing that recognition and appreciation to to those needs it has much more meaning. It goes a much longer way in in really making that 
employee feel valued and appreciated. And, and just one last comment, um, that, that goes beyond recognition to many of the other retention drivers. You know, you could talk about autonomy, you could talk about working with purpose and many, many other things that it, it's, we're all different and we all have our unique needs. And those are the needs that really, if you can meet those needs, then you can achieve success. I was talking with a gentleman the other day, and he is going to be a future guest on my show, and he brought up a great point, is sometimes an element of recognition is simply being given the, the next big opportunity. And in his case, one of his stories he told is that uh, he had gone to work for IBM as a young engineer and was perpetually ignored on project assignments. Oh, yeah. And his need and his want for ultimately what was recognition was simply to be given the nod to join a meaningful yeah. project. Yeah. And he finally shared that with one of the senior leaders in the company, and, and the person said, Oh my goodness, I have no idea why this is happening. I, I, I genuinely am stumped, but we're going to figure this out. And next thing you know, he, he was granted a position on a, on a really meaningful initiative that was going on. And, and through that process was able to demonstrate his skill and ability and motivation yeah. and all yeah. the things that he was bringing to the table. Yeah. And prior to that, those values that he thought he was contributing were unrecognized yeah no and i bet you he felt uh, a lot you know it felt very um gratified that he had that opportunity to to get involved in a project and it was very rewarding for him and you know so the, the workplace is certainly changing and you know some people value different things and your example of somebody wanting to to maybe get involved in certain projects would, would maybe stimulate them and challenge them. And that could be really important to them. Uh, so those, those are things, just as another example uh, to show recognition, oftentimes it's important for managers to listen to employee ideas and suggestions and, you know, consider them and give them some, some value and see if they have merit to be implemented as it could help maybe improve efficiencies or lower costs. But when the employee doesn't get that, feedback from the manager about their they begin to shut down a little bit and and say well he doesn't he doesn't value my ideas so you know though just another example but um no you're you're absolutely right well and uh, another situation that comes to mind is and maybe i'll call it the inverse of what we're talking about here and uh um and that is the employee that the manager thinks of as his A player. You know, he's, he's, he or she is the best on my team. Uh, I can give them anything. They'll take care of it. I can always count on them. I know the results are going to be good, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, a, again, a sad but prevailing theme that those people are taken for granted. And there's not enough attention placed on who they are and, and what they're doing. And it does come back to the recognition factor, but mm -hmm. it's, it's the manager who does consciously or subconsciously take them for granted just because they know they can count on them. Yeah. And I always 
caution people for the fact that that employee is the first one that's going to be out the door. Yeah. And the reason is they do have skill, they do have ability, they do have accomplishments. And if they get fed up, they're, they're going to vote with their feet and they'll be gone. Yeah. And you'll be spinning your head wondering, well, what happened? Why did I yeah. lose them? Yeah. And th these are where some of those emotions come into play. Um, you know, if you listen to psychologists, I think they've told us for years that, you know, we, we often make major decisions in our lives based on emotions and feelings versus logic and reason. So in your example about um, a high performer, uh, a, a top performer, these, these are the people that you really want to make sure you're trying to build some positive emotions about their career, whether it's recognition or one of the other uh, key drivers, because those are the people they got, like you said, talent. They're typically going to be getting calls from competitors or from recruiting agencies uh, to try and lure them away. And if it's, if they're feeling frustrated or stressed or not recognized and they get that call, maybe they're a little bit more likely to sit back and listen and say, yeah, tell me more uh, about this and, and I'll see if it could be a fit. I'm, I'm a little unhappy or a little unsatisfied about my current role. So, you know, it's, it's high performers that, you know, that you want to keep those talented people. And so you have to take the steps necessary to, to do so. Right. So in your work, how are you engaging with companies and, and leaders to, to address this gap in, in the recognition element and the retention elements? Well, there, there's a few things we're doing. You know, we, again, through some of the data we've collected through the years, Doug, we, uh, I think, can kind of present some of those findings and help business owners understand where some of the disconnects are. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, and again, I think we've repeatedly shown and, and research shows that managers are uh, a, a crucial piece of the engagement puzzle, a crucial or critical piece of the retention puzzle and, and process. So that's where our work is really centered on is how do we help managers? And often, you know, People get put into a leadership role with different backgrounds, different experience, different cultures, and, and so on. But it, it's it's not always, um, you know, a lot of it's sometimes based on their skills and abilities to perform at a high level with, with on their own basis. But leading a team is is sometimes a different different animal, so to speak, for for lack of a better word. And instead, it now becomes a an issue of how do we motivate, how do we engage a team, how do we build loyalty, how do we improve communication, how do we build trust, and all those things uh, to strengthen relationships. And so, and I think this is an area sometimes that can be lacking is to give those managers the, the skills and the, the processes and the abilities and the training and, and so on to, to really help them you know, uh, excel in these areas. And so that's where our work is kind of centered around is, is how, how can we help and support managers and uh, to build stronger relationships and to, to, to understand and meet the needs of their employees so that, you know, they can have a rewarding work experience. So that, that, that's in essence what we're, we're trying to do with our work. 
Yeah, you've you've touched on a, a key theme that I talk about frequently. I do it on the show here, and I do it certainly with my own individual coaching clients. We we talk about that idea that so often when somebody gets elevated up to be on a management track, or even if you're an entrepreneur and you've got this great idea and you want to go create a business, the the idea that you know anything about leadership is usually slim to none. You 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 might have had the privilege of working for an amazing leader and you were able to kind of by osmosis absorb some of the principles and values of what made them a good leader. But whether or not you've ever had a chance to exercise that or you've thought about that specifically as a separate subject area that you need to master, most people move into the management track and get caught up in the in the conundrum of thinking, I got recognized for good production and good performance, so I just need to do more of that and I'll be successful. Yeah. And I've frequently seen managers, particularly in bigger companies, who have moved up the ranks a couple of promotions and they find themselves in a point of friction where they are hearing and feeling pressure from above to somehow be different, but nobody's told them what different is. Yeah. But they're subtly being told it's not about you producing more widgets. Your team needs to be the widget producers, yeah, not right. you. You need to be thinking strategically. You need to be looking bigger picture. You need to become more visionary. All of those messages generally get delivered subliminally. <laughs> Maybe they get delivered during an annual review. And then that person is caught off guard feeling like my career is getting ready to tank. I'm not meeting a standard. I'm not leveling yeah. up. Yeah. So there's an intense frustration in that moment. And often the work I get to do is help them peel that onion and, and get to the core of what they might be able to do to become that more strategic, visionary type leader that yeah. the organization is asking for. Yeah, no, well, that, that's important work. And I'm sure that support is, is certainly valued. I, I think that the workplace is definitely changing. Um, you know, I think now we have, I believe it's around 35 or 45, 35 to 40% of uh, millennials and, and Gen Z workers that, you know, have, uh, a different approach to uh, a different attitude maybe towards work and um, it, not to say that it's right or wrong it's just maybe different than what I grew up with and, and understood and so you've got those factors that come into play you've got you know the pandemic had some major shifts in in, in how uh, people are work with hybrid and working from home models and things like that and then of course every organization is is seems to be continually going through change as they uh, try and maybe reposition themselves or there might be an acquisition or, you know, they have to restructure to meet the needs. So there's a lot of things that are happening within, within the organization and leaders sometimes have to kind of get a grasp on all that yet still meet the needs of their people. And it's not always easy, but I think being able to relate and explain some of the changes and, 
uh, things like that to, to, to people can help them understand and, and help them get by. And so uh, just further to your point, it's, uh, it's an ever-changing world. Yes. And as, as you're saying that, I'm reminded I was at, uh, out at breakfast this morning and there was a news flash on the ticker that said uh, uh, the Zoom company has actually issued a mandate for everybody to return to work. <laughs> Oh, they have, eh? <laughs> I thought, how ironic. The, the very company that, that mobilized our remote work ability yeah. is now telling all their people to go back to the office. <laughs> Boy, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, I, I don't know where this is, is going to end up. I, I suspect it might be a, a hybrid model. I know employees... And I can't say I blame them. You know, they don't maybe have that two-hour commute into the office every day. Gas prices have gone way up. So, you know, they're saving on that end. And, and you know, they like the flexibility maybe of working from home. So it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to deal with. But that, that is kind of ironic that Zoom, uh, who's built their business really on, on uh, being uh, creating uh, mobile uh, communications and things like that is is going through that well i mentioned that and of course we're going to have a lag from our recording time here before we go live online but uh by the time we do go live the whole zoom thing might be history and no telling how many shoes are going to drop on that uh announcement yeah. before then and I have uh, not not to single them out, but I have had front row seats working with executives and other companies that have wrestled with announcements to return to work. And in one case, um, and I'm not going to name names, but the company was headquartered in a downtown area of a major metropolitan city. And over the core of the pandemic, the environment in the city got really dicey and, and downright dangerous, even in broad daylight. And when the company announced they wanted everybody to come back to the office, people said, I fear for my safety. Oh, right. Yeah. It's not that I don't want to come back. It's just that given everything that's going on in the downtown proper, I could be at risk of, of yeah. walking the street. Yeah. So getting from the parking garage or the metro stop or the, you know, public transit, whatever, into the office is a perilous trek. So, yeah. you know, well, that, you that could be that? a really valid concern. Eh? And, and somehow there, there are no easy answers, but I can see employees being, you know, reluctant and concerned about those kind of things. So, yeah, a lot, a lot to be done on that. Well, what, um, in back to your work on the the whole retention game, what are some of the key recommendations that that you tell leaders to work with? Yeah, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit on that, Doug. I, I think um, first of all, we we recognize that there's maybe two main cores to a, a strong employee retention strategy. One is financial. And compensation models or remuneration um, packages that include salary and benefits and bonuses and incentives and stock options or whatever it might be. 
So those are important. And, and I think given some of the inflationary pressures uh, over the last year, year and a half, uh, employees are getting squeezed a little bit. You know, rent's going up, gasoline, I mentioned, is going up, food prices are going up. So I think, you know, you have to try and be competitive uh, with, with salary and wages. It's an important part of not only attracting, but retaining employees. It's not really work in our area, but we have a couple of partners, a couple of key partners that we worked with that specialize in that financial side. So, and, and really their work centers around helping businesses understand, you know, what the competitiveness of their salaries given certain roles and responsibilities and job descriptions. So that's one side of it that I think needs to be kind of addressed. And most organizations are on top of that. I will say that. So the, the second side is the non-financial side. And these also have a significant influence on those emotions and the career experience and, and uh, the feelings about their job. And, and I'm talking about things like culture, uh, relationships with the managers, uh, you know, the, the work experience, whether they have an opportunity to, to grow and develop or, or maybe take on, get involved in a project, like you mentioned earlier for, with your colleague. Um, you know, there, there's many different ones as well, but these non-financial aspects have a, a, a tremendous impact on employee retention. So though that's maybe the second consideration that I think is, is very important. And, and I think the ideal type of retention strategy should encompass both of those. You not only need to look at the financial side, but you also have to plan and, and strategize on, on what can be done on the non-financial side to build stronger connections between the employee and the company and so forth. And if, if you want to maybe continue, there's, there's a couple of key points there that I feel managers can play a key role in. And one is uh, managers in, in encouraging and cultivating those engagement drivers, both on a, a personal level, as well as on an emotional level. Uh, the second is defining what that employee is seeking in a rewarding work experience. And these come through conversations and understanding and but then if the manager is able to support and um, assist the employee in, in trying to um, build a more rewarding career experience, that goes a long way in, in helping towards retention. And the third core element that I'll mention is um, uh, growth and development. And I think the manager here, again, is in a strong position to support the employee in developing a career, a career development plan, if you will. And that's, that's, um, that's not the responsibility of the manager. It's the responsibility of the employee. But at the same time, the manager can offer a lot of support to, to help them, them be successful in that area. So just a few comments. Uh. Well, one thought that comes to mind in all of that is starting with a very rudimentary and, and fundamental practice of if you're a business owner or manager, you need to have that honest, open discussion with every employee privately and put out on the table both sides and and the employer view, the employee view, and the, the framework is to lay out expectations and obligations. 
And I think what I observe in, in business is the expectation part is pretty frequently talked about. You know, the employees saying, I want promotion opportunity. When am I going to get my next raise? When do I get recognized? Those are all expectations. Reasonable in most cases, but nonetheless expectations. And the employer is saying, I need productivity. I need compliance. I need, you know, safety followed, all, my, all the company procedures need to be followed properly, all of the work needs to be delivered with a certain level of quality and consistency, etc. So the expectation part is frequently the focus of our discussion, but I don't see people really sharing also the sense of obligation and asking the question, all right, I hear your expectation. What do you think your obligations are to get there? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's a powerful dynamic. And in its simplest form, when you think about it, that's what contract law 101 is all about. You've got two parties coming together. Yeah. Each has a set of expectations and the contract is going to explain obligations to get there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we sign contracts all day long without thinking about this, but then people show up in an employment engagement and they're, they're missing that fundamental spirit of, of the, the relationship there. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. And um, I think it's, it's accurate. I do believe you have two sides of the party. You've got the manager and, and the organization that, has their expectations on productivity performance. You've also got the employee with their needs and expectations about a rewarding work experience, a chance to grow and develop and so on. But I think you mentioned a key point there, Doug, and that is conversations. Because I think the conversations can help link those two together. Because I think uh, through conversations and through dialogue, you can get... Um, uh, a better a better understanding. Um, you can build trust. You can build relationships. You can improve communication. You can demonstrate empathy. You can motivate in, in some ways, and you can understand challenges and, and address challenges. And there's so many things that this just good, straightforward, one-on-one -on -one conversations can achieve. And ultimately, once you, you strengthen that relationship and the trust and communication, that's, those are the fundamental principles that drive performance, that drive loyalty and retention, that, that drive innovation and, and input on and suggestions and things like that. All of those things that make that contract between the two parties uh, kind of come together and succeed, if that makes sense. And well, it does. And as you were describing that, I was going through a little bit of memory lane here on a, a few of my recent client engagements. And particularly in the entrepreneurial space, that owner founder visionary that sets up a business may not have any of those skills, all, all that list you just described, they may not have any of that. I, and I have actually had a client tell me I hate training my people. Oh, yeah. And it's like, uh-oh. 
<laughs> well, it's your company, Bubba. If you don't like training them, who's going to, you know? Yeah, I hear you. And how are you going to get them to catch your vision and support you in the in the growth and development of that if if you're not willing to sit down with them and have those discussions? Yeah. And, it's and so and, important. And get through the gauntlet of understanding. So uh, it it was an uphill slog for sure because yeah. if if the owner founder is predisposed to not wanting to do do any of that work, it's like yikes! How, yeah. how do you get to the next step? Yeah, it's true. And you know, one of the challenges that you know we, we've become so reliant on email and and our digital communications, and you know, text is 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 kind of um, coming on. Yeah, actually, I heard a funny story. I'll just very quickly, this one manager was trying to reach their employee and uh, couldn't, wasn't responding to email, wasn't responding to text messages. And here he eventually found out he only communicates with people through Instagram now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess my point here is that, um, you know, face-to-face -face or direct one-on-one -on -one conversations, we're human. We, we need this interaction. And, um, it, it, it can't be always achieved through emails and, and text messages. I think you, you lose some of that understanding and the, the expressions and the, you know, the, these kind of things that really help to build those stronger relationships. Right. Well, totally agree. And I, I think this has really been helpful, Doug. And uh, looking at the clock, I think it's time we, we wrap this thing up. I um, uh, first let me say thank you for sitting in and sharing this. I, I think this whole idea of what managers can do to work on retention of the employees that you certainly work hard and spend a lot of money on trying to recruit and bring into your business, but if you don't have the infrastructure, the framework, the process, the the discipline to retain them, uh, stuff is going to happen. You're, you're going to have turnover. But uh, the good news is if you do some things well, you, you won't have the same turnover that everybody else might be having. And real quickly, I'm thinking of another company I've, I've done some work with. Their retention is amazing. The average tenure of their employee is about seven years. Oh, that's <laughs> and, impressive. And in today's market, and and they don't have a bunch of boomers sitting around their shop, I promise yeah. you. In fact, I don't think they have any boomers on their payroll whatsoever. Yeah. But they are um, they are way over the top in in the ability to communicate with their people. Uh, that's that's incredible and uh you know certainly they're doing some things right because our our research shows that probably 25 to 30 percent of employees in many organizations don't make the 18th month mark so wow yeah that, that's very compelling well anyway i'm I, I feel like we could keep going with this, but I, yeah, like I, said, yeah. I need to be sensitive to the time. So, Doug, thank you for your time sitting in and sharing all that with us. Tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. Okay, okay, and 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 Doug, thanks so much. It's it's really been a great uh, a great discussion. I've enjoyed it immensely. And uh, if people want to learn more about the services that that we offer, you can go to our website. 
uh, there's a contact us uh, page there. And that website is www.manage, just like the word manage, M-A-N-A-G-E, the number two, not the word, but the number two, and then the word retain, R-E-T-A-I-N.com. So www.managetoretain.com. And if, if they are interested, I'll, I'll, hand, I'll provide my personal email. It's D Brown, so D for Doug, and then Brown like the color at manage to retain.com. So I'd be more than happy to hear from any of your audience uh, who maybe has any questions or anything. Super, super. Well, as always, folks, we'll have that contact info in the show notes. You can just click down and, and check it out and uh, feel free to get a hold of Doug. And I always like to remind people, if you're listening on your favorite streaming channel, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, take a view, look through the archives, and see if there's other things that might pique your interest or, or help you out. We uh, are always looking for great, gifted, and talented guests like Doug Brown. And if you think you're one of those people or know someone who may be, drop me a line, let me know, and we'll certainly connect with them. For now, I'm going to sign off, say goodbye, wish you a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.